Hello and welcome to mini episode 168 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And I have seven spooky stories for you today. And the last story comes from February the 4th, 2022. Story number one comes from Jamie. I was never a spiritual kid and I didn't see anything throughout my childhood. However, I had this way of knowing things. I would know extremely specific details without context and pretend I didn't because I knew it wasn't a normal thing to do. Playing up being dumb a lot because for some reason I didn't want people to know that I knew things. The first times I saw anything supernatural came after I was baptised as an adult. I went to visit my parents who are sceptics. I prayed over the entrances to make unwanted entities know they are not welcome. That night I had a dream about a man and a little girl with black eyes trying to get in through the front door. I told them to go away, which made them angry and the man started to bang against the door hard with his fists, rattling the whole house as they both screamed to be let in. The next day I found that a lot of the picture frames near the front door had fallen down. I was dancing with headphones in my parents' room later when I saw black mist floating by the bed. I wasn't scared and said firmly, fuck off. It seemed to drift away through the floor. When I realised what had just happened, I was pretty freaked out. I also have a weird thing with mirrors. I both love and fear them. There was a mirror in the front room of my parents' house. I used to look into it thinking it made me look better than any other mirror. One night when I was away at university, I had a bad dream about a demon crawling through the glass, wearing the face of someone I knew. In the dream, I started to pray and push it back into the mirror to trap it inside. The next time I was on the phone to my mum, she told me the mirror had cracked and had to be thrown out. I now can't have a mirror facing me while I sleep because it feels wrong. I usually cover them with cloth. Last year when my partner was sleeping over, I left the mirror facing my bed uncovered for the first time. Then had a dream that something slithered out of the mirror and laid itself on my chest, pinning me still. It looked like my best friend, but it felt so off. It whispered really dark things about my partner and me. I struggled as hard as I could and when I woke up I covered the mirror straight away. That could have just been my anxious mind, I'm not sure. Though I would rather not risk uncovering the mirror as I sleep anytime soon. Since I've now experienced more weird shit, I've given in to the random knowledge that pops into my head, gaining a little profit title at my old church. What is really scary about knowing is when you know something bad will happen. A friend wanted a prophecy done which I obliged. I got the usual fun happy images, noticed he was on a boat, so I thought okay a voyage and there was a bright sun in the sky. The sun then starts to get consumed by a blackened image of a spider. I could feel a pit in my stomach and dread creeping in. We both agreed we didn't like the spider but carried on with our lives. The next month he was on a boat with his family and sadly his father drowned. I only remembered the spider about half a year later. It's similar to when people around me have to get surgery or are diagnosed with an illness. I see a black spider and my gut seems to know if they will live or pass. My housemate's mum recently was diagnosed with cancer. I told him I'd pray and when I did I felt the same cold dread. I knew she would die, which sadly she did a few days later. Death doesn't scare me as much as those around me. 
Don't get me wrong though, it's very sad and I do hold on to a healthy amount of fear of the unknown. I now lean into certain aspects of it. For example, I hold a silent dinner for the dead around Samhain, setting the table for those recently lost and inviting them to sit down at me until I finish my meal. The silent aspect is so that those lost don't feel left out of conversation if they are unable to speak. When I'm done, I say thank you and ask them to leave, asking the house's spirits to help guide them out. It's a way of honouring the dead in a very confusing and dramatic time. I've never been bothered by ghosts really. I understand why they would look creepy and smash stuff. I would too if I'm honest. I would also love to change my body if I could. Why not be a freaky giant spider monster, even if it scares the living? That's how you'll find me when I pass, being a big spider thing, hiding keys and singing creepy songs. Oh now there's a good question to ponder. What form would you like to take if you could choose a form after you died? I think I'd still like to be me. I mean, is that the most narcissistic thing you've ever heard? Probably. But I'd like to be me, but the most fabulous version of me. Or me in like a black outfit with a black veil, smoking a cigarette, one of those long cigarette holders that just shows up randomly to fuck with people. That's that's the kind of me that I'd like to be, to be honest. And I don't know if I'd want to have a psychic gift Honestly, anytime I hear about people with a psychic gift, it just seems to be terrifying for everybody involved. I don't want to know when people are going to die. I don't want to know if somebody's going in for surgery, whether or not they're going to live or die. I prefer to live in, you know, horrible anxiety of the unknown all the time. Although it does sound like you have just embraced the gift, learned to live with it, and are just getting on with it, so fair play to you. And story number two comes from Katie. In October, I lost one of my longest friends due to COVID. He was admitted to the intensive care unit I work on. I briefly looked after him, but that's trauma of a different kind. He followed the Norse path, modern-day Viking, fully believed in the pantheon of gods. The day I looked after him, I went outside for a cigarette on my break. There were two crows or ravens over the entrance to the building, cawing their little heads off. They seriously could not be quiet. In the Norse mythology, they are considered protective creatures. I've got Irish Catholic roots, but fell into a pagan lifestyle many years ago, and I've always seen them as messengers. The goddess Morrigan, if you want to go down another rabbit hole. Since I lost my friend, silly little things have happened. I put my music on shuffle, and three songs associated with him came on. I laughed and said something like, Thanks for letting me know you're okay, but can you quit it? I'm not in the mood for this music. I know this is most likely coincidence, but grief is a funny old thing. And as humans, we interpret things in whichever way we need. Also in October, I bought an old church services book at a vintage bookstore. It's got passages about burial of the dead, last rites in it, etc. It's also got a strange splatter mark on the page on burial of the dead. A few weeks after buying this, my partner and I have noticed weird happenings in our flat. And this is where the weird stuff starts. My partner found out that he was adopted, and he's actually Native American. We found his records on which tribe, so we're heavily researching this currently. We had a 4th of July party and bought a giant American flag. Being a man in his 30s, his decorative taste isn't fantastic, so he put the flag on the living room wall. 
Apparently, the affectionately named pet poltergeist dislikes the flag on the wall as much as I do, because every single time he puts it up, it gets violently ripped down. Not like a poster gently falling off because it's lost its grip. Oh no, we've seen it actually being pulled off the wall by its corner. We've now taken it off the wall and that's stopped. I worked the night shift. I'd gone to work as normal. My partner went to bed. At around 2am he heard a noise in the kitchen like footsteps. We live in a one-bedroom apartment. The back door goes straight into the kitchen living room and is opposite our bedroom door. He thought I'd been sent home early from work so came out to the living room to see if I was okay. And there was nobody in the apartment. Weirded out he decided to get up and have a cup of tea. Again he heard loud footsteps behind him so noped back to bed. A few weeks ago I was stood in the kitchen making a cup of tea. I'd bought a cafetiere and shoved it to the back of the cupboard. While I was stood making the tea, the cafetiere flew out of the cupboard and shattered everywhere. The door had been open a good while at this point and it was right at the back on the top shelf, so it definitely wasn't knocked. Now come to today. I'm off work unwell and my partner's at the office. I was stood at the door having a cigarette. I felt something on my neck and brushed it away. I've got long, feral hair, so assumed it was coming loose. I felt a long, thin scratch on my neck raising up. Slightly freaked out and rather annoyed that it's now choosing violence, I called out, Right, I get it, someone was here. Whoever the fuck you are, you've no right to touch me. You can stay if you stop being spooky little dickhead, and if you don't stop, you are unwelcome here and need to leave. Weirdly, I've now got a sense of calm and peace since calling it out. Although, funnily enough... I can hear a crow cawing its head off outside. We've got brave people sending in their stories today. Brave people who are not afraid to stand up to that poltergeist in their lives, who are not afraid to stand up to that black mist and tell them who's boss. And I appreciate it. I like the energy of calling a poltergeist a spooky little dickhead. (laughs) I feel like more spooky kids need to be called spooky little dickheads as well. And I feel like Katie makes such a good point in this story. Like grief is a funny old thing. And as humans, we do interpret things in whatever way we need. So if you need to think that a robin flying by is a lost loved one, then so be it. If it brings you comfort, then so be it. I do still think, though, that when people say things like, oh, you know, the, the, the shuffle playlist played three songs that were relevant to my relationship with that person, it does make me go, Maybe it is. Maybe it is. And maybe, like everybody else, that's just me hearing what I need to hear or believing what I need to believe. But I like to think that it is that person coming back. And as a side note, I appreciate a poltergeist with taste who's going, no, no, this decor choice is not the one. We've got to change some things around here, okay? And story number three comes from Tony. I served four years in the United States Marines as a machine gunner. My first deployment was to Sanjin in Afghanistan. During my deployment, there were several strange events. The one I'm going to tell you happened on post two. A post is normally where we would stand to protect the base. If you were not on patrol or QRF, then you stood post. QRF is quick reaction force, which is if someone is in trouble, you are the backup. For a while, there was an issue with people standing guard on post two. No one wanted to be there because there had been several strange encounters. 
It was February of 2012 and I decided that I would stand that post. It was two or three in the morning and out of nowhere I heard footsteps coming down from the front on my post. If you're on your post, that does not mean something good. I thought it was the corporal of the guard checking on us since that is what they did from time to time. I called on the radio and he informed me that he was on the other side of the base. As soon as he finished talking, the footsteps sounded as if they were running around the post. I grabbed my rifle and started scanning the area. I didn't see anything and the footsteps stopped. About 15 minutes later I heard them again. This time I went to the bottom of the post and checked the area and still couldn't find anything. As I stood in the bottom of the post, I heard something jump in the post. Fear took over, as I had an M240 Bravo medium machine gun on that post, which meant they could fire directly at me with ease. So I stood on the ladder ready to fight whoever was there. When I breached the top, no one was there. Now I'm standing there thinking that I might just be tired and hearing things, which wasn't uncommon, since sleep isn't something you get a lot of in war. I placed my rifle on the table in front of me. I had the worst feeling like someone was staring at me. I turned and saw, clear as day, a man looking at me four feet away. I panicked and grabbed my rifle and he was gone. That morning when I left the post, I was talking to some of my friends about it. Before I could finish telling the story, my friend stopped me and said, But did you see him? I knew he saw him and his story was the same as mine. He heard the footsteps and did the same thing. We eventually found out that Post 2 was a post that a Marine had killed himself on. To this day, I believe that he haunts that post. There are so many stories about military bases being haunted or being this site of like poltergeist activity or loads of different things. And obviously, I'm not a soldier. I've never been to war. I don't have any soldiers in my family. I don't understand what it feels like to go to war, but I can only imagine that living on a base where everyone's tired, there's a lack of sleep. I know that you're trained to go out there and fight and various things, but I can only imagine the constant anxiety and fear and worry and everybody's on high alert all the time. Like That energy must do something. It has to do something. We also talk about poltergeists being attracted to the energy of like pubescent teenagers because of the energy that they give off. Like There is so much energy around a military base for lots of different reasons. So it makes sense that if you subscribe to that theory that energy attracts things or keeps things hanging around, that maybe it would, maybe it would stay around. And obviously that Marine who took his own life was in terrible distress. So maybe his energy just never quite left. And story number four comes from Anne. In 1999, my husband and I were expecting our first baby and had been living in a sweet little 800 square foot house for a couple of years. My husband had a very good friend who was caught up in a drug addiction, which caused a great deal of turmoil with his wife. We loved the two of them, and offered our home as a safe haven when he needed to be around friends. Occasionally, we'd get a very late night call that he needed to talk to my husband or come over. We were happy he felt safe to reach out. My husband later helped him to get a job where he worked, and would spend the afternoons at our house after they got off. In the early morning hours, our friend would arrive to carpool to work with my husband. He would linger at the back door, located in the kitchen, 
sipping a coffee and chatting quietly with my husband about their plans for the day. Our cat, who hated everybody, found this man to be a kindred spirit and would greet him warmly. She never behaved this way with another person outside of our little family. Later in the day, the guys worked on projects and generally kept busy until our friend's wife was off work and could be with him at their own home. The idea was to occupy his time to help him with his sobriety. Unfortunately, in time, he relapsed and ultimately was the cause of a horrific car accident that not only took his own life but killed a young mother. Everyone who knew this man was devastated and leaned on each other to help his sweet bride move forward with her life. Around six to nine months later, odd things began occasionally happening in our home. It started with a midnight doorbell sound one Saturday while my husband and I were watching TV. We jumped at the unexpected bell and hurried to the door but no one was there. We had the same thing happen on two other weekends around similar times. Our couch where we were sitting was right next to the front door and a large window was above the couch. We only had to turn around to look to see that the porch stood empty. Our yard had no places to hide if it had been kids playing a prank. My husband decided that it must have been an electrical short of some kind since the house had 50-year-old wiring. I also had a couple of occurrences of the phone ringing and having no sound when I answered hello. My husband dismissed these as someone messing with us and we didn't spend long dwelling on them. We had two episodes where the kitchen light just switched off. The switch physically moved while we were in the other room. Still, we tried to blame the wiring. Three separate days, my husband and I were standing in our tiny kitchen and the wall phone speaker button inexplicably started its loud tone. Although startled, we brushed this off as well, as it had to be the wiring. The last occurrence I remember was just before we moved out. I was expecting our second baby and we were quickly outgrowing our beloved home. The house was put on the market and I had a realtor arriving shortly to show it to a prospective couple. I had the house in perfect order, grabbed my baby and went out the back door to my car, which was parked next to the house. I'd left the living room windows open for fresh air. One window was four feet from the side of my car. I snapped my little into his car seat and as I closed the car door, I heard the doorbell. I took two quick steps to look around the corner of the house at the porch. No one was there. I didn't want the doorbell to sound while the house was being shown, so I hurried back inside, unplugged the doorbell from the wall and set it out of sight, figuring the people were unlikely to test out the doorbell during their visit. They were going to arrive at any minute, so I ran back to my car, and as I began backing from the driveway, I could hear that doorbell ringing one more time. No one was on the porch, and no one was in my house. That was the moment I knew this was not an electrical issue with the wiring. We lived in two more homes since then, and never experienced anything like we did in our first home. If it was our friend, we pray his soul has found peace. Oh, that story has broken my heart. Addiction is so horrendous. It's just awful for the people who are in the throes of addiction and for everybody around them. But it sounds like that you all work together to give him as much opportunity to work on his sobriety as much as you possibly could, which is a testament to you guys being good friends. And I could totally understand feeling like this is definitely an electrical issue because they're all electrical adjacent 
incidents. But actually, maybe it was just your friend's way of coming back and trying to get your attention to let you know that he's okay now and he's at peace. And story number five comes from Edward. This happened in the late 1980s when I was working at a hospital in downtown Toronto in Canada. My job was simple. Clean the bodies and attach a name tag onto the big toe. On this particular shift, there was only one body that I had to take care of. It was the body of a man, aged about 40 with short brown hair, no moustache but a heavy beard. He was around 6 feet tall and weighed about 200 pounds. He was rough looking. I thought, great, what an easy night. After about 30 minutes, I'd done my job, when all of a sudden the room temperature dropped to about minus 5 and a foul odour permeated the room. I tried looking for the source of this odour and could not find it. Suddenly, I felt a mass of air enter the room, circled twice and then leave the room. As it was leaving the room, I noticed a blue mist following closely behind it. As soon as it left the room, the temperature went back to normal and the odour also vanished. I left the room in a hurry without looking back. The next day, I asked one of the nurses stationed in the morgue who the guy was. And she said... He was a hitman for a biker gang and the police could not pin anything on him because no one would testify against him. I think what happened that night was a demon came into that room and took that man's spirit back to hell and rightfully so. I worked at this hospital for two more years after this incident and did not experience another paranormal event. That experience made me a believer in demons. Whew, that's not a very nice story. I know that people often think that morgues would be somewhere where loads of paranormal stuff would happen, but I just don't think it's the case. And I think that you get very used to working around dead bodies very, very quickly. And while I have not worked around dead bodies or done anything morgue related, I have seen a large number of dead bodies in my time. And I can tell you from experience that it's actually not a very freaky experience to see a dead body. It's sad and, you know, it can be traumatic for various reasons. But I've never found it to be a scary experience. And I'm sure that other morgue workers and people who work in fields that are related to dead bodies or funerals or anything like that will probably tell you that they experience quite limited paranormal activity. So I'd imagine that when you do experience it, like in this case where it's the real feeling of a heavy breeze, the temperature dropping, a foul odour, like all of those things are going to make you sit up and pay attention and go shit what just happened and look I'm not a believer in demons but we've heard many stories many a time about people who work in end-of-life care who talk about black shadows or entities that come and take people at their end of life so who am I to say who am I to say and story number six comes from M this story is something that I didn't want to talk about until we left the place where it happened I've always been a spiritual person. Being raised pagan, I grew up around spirits, god, goddesses and deities. But this story begins when I was boarding my horse at the same place that I worked. We had a lot of problems before, but everything was something logical that would happen with the horses. This wasn't. My horse was inside at night and during the heat of the day, as he's very sensitive about that. I got back to the barn one evening letting him out so he could run for a few hours as I was there. I brought him in after dark like normal, fed him, 
and I noticed that he had a bite on his back from a horse playing with him. That's all normal, so I had no problems or worries. I went to check on it in the dark like normal with very little light. And he went to itch his right back leg. I was on his left. He couldn't reach it, so I went to scratch it for him. It was wet. I looked down at my hand, and it was covered in blood. I thought, oh no, he's got a cut on his leg. Much worse. When I looked at it in the light, he had a laceration on his coronet band half an inch deep and about an inch wide and an inch and a half tall. I called my mom to come to the barn so we could see what we could do. After she got there, we took care of it, cleaning and everything, called the vet, and he said there was nothing he could do, just wrap it and wash it daily. The next day, I went there to let out and wash his foot. Everything was fine and dandy. I let him out and did my work. We checked the pasture the night before for any reason he got hurt and found nothing so it was reasonably safe. When I went to dump the horse poo, I take a certain route to go to the dump area in the pasture for it to decompose into dirt. What I saw took me back. The guts of some animal laid out on the poop pile I walk past daily, clean and neat, like it was hand-washed and placed there for me to find. I immediately called my mom and told her what happened and then texted my boss asking if anyone had put animal guts there. She asked her husband and her neighbour and both said no. I knew what to do with the guts already, so after I got pictures and a video I buried it and never said thank you or anything as you are never to say that, especially because I suspected possible fae or something similar. We called out friends to see what they felt. Manny said it was the fae and that there's a portal next to the pasture where things come and go. One said that the guts was like an apology for hurting my horse, as the guts are the best part of the animal for animals like that. We immediately put up protection spells for warding off the fae and other creatures like that from the pasture. For days after, we felt like something was watching us from the woods right outside the pasture. The pasture was in a clearing in the woods next to a road. There were woods on two and a half sides. One day there was a big lightning storm. My mom and I were there when it hit. My mom is a witch so she diverted the storm from hitting the barn super hard. The storm she diverted took a tree down near the barn a block away. After it calmed we went to see it. We ran into a storm chaser and he said there was a possible funnel big wind gust that he was chasing here. After that we had to fix the pasture fencing in the morning and when a friend came back to check If the being was still there, no one felt its presence. It's believed to have been trapped and was able to leave when the lightning took out the power for a second during the storm. On the other side of the woods is a big power line, then train tracks and such, which makes sense as to why it couldn't leave. A road and an iron train track and electric wire keeping it in a little space. Even though it can be explained by this, I feel there was more to it. I've always been connected to the Fae, Then I named my horse after a Celtic sun god who fought with the Fae long ago. Naming him this was on purpose. We name our animals after deities. Months later, I did some meditation in his stall with him. I was sitting down and decided to put some protective energy around him to keep him safe. My energy has shown itself to me as gold. When I reached out to him, I felt a shock of energy around him and saw it in my mind's eye too. This was his energy a powerful amount of silver energy that latched onto mine and opened a mental communication link. He showed me that he has a great deal of spiritual energy 
more than I've ever seen. I asked him questions and listened and he showed me pictures and feelings. I asked him how long we knew each other in other lives and he showed me a few of the lives we'd spent together. One, he was a Native American's horse and I was a warrior from another place clad in black armour being torn off my horse a few hundred yards away from him by a rope around my neck. I can still feel the rope around my neck of being choked and falling onto the ground. I asked him how far back we knew each other and he showed me all the way back to the Fae. It was blurry like time chipped away at the memory but the feeling was there. There's so much I don't understand, like how we are connected to the Fae and why. Why did he get hurt and is there a message in there that I missed? One day I want to work with the Fae, but I know that I'm not strong enough to do that yet. But I'm wondering if I need to look closer into it sooner rather than later, do more research and prepare myself faster. I've been working with Artemis for a while now, but they are different beings with different rules. So while I'm very curious about the whys and the hows, I do have concerns something not nice may happen if I look into them more. Or that I need to be looking into them or something may happen. There are lots of things in this story that I know nothing about, including horses. I know very little about horses. I've never been on a horse. I've seen them. I've seen them. I've also stroked a horse's nose, but I've never been on a horse. I know very little about the pagan way of life and... I choose to know very little about the Fae. So if I say anything ignorant or offensive, it is not meant to be at all. It is just because I don't know anything about these things. The animal guts laid out really nicely and cleanly and perfectly and neatly gives me the heebie-jeebies. I don't like that at all. The way you described it seems like there's a real intention behind it. And I just I just don't like anything that hurts animals. Like, leave the animals out of it. Definitely leave the animals out of it. They are beautiful, wholesome beings and they do not need to be accidentally or otherwise injured by the Fae, for sure. I have an interesting thing about auras. So one time I met a psychic who read my aura and said that my aura was silver. And apparently a silver aura is supposed to be representative of having like abilities to communicate with the other side. And look, I you know don't know if soul is the right word, but I do think that animals have spirits or souls or they have a substance to them beyond just being animals I'm totally convinced of it totally convinced so it wouldn't surprise me if your horse had an aura and was able to communicate other things horses are very intelligent creatures too as far as I know again I know very little about them and story number seven comes from Alison Scarlet's story in mini episode 116 really moved me to tears today I had a Mrs Rice when I was little She was a lovely lady called Mrs. Fulton who lived next door. Apparently as a toddler, I would hear her grandchildren calling her Nana and I would do the same. She then all but adopted me as I had no living grandparents and told me, with my parents' permission, that she would be my Nana too. I would visit Nana every day and her house was the warmest, most loving environment I'd ever experienced. It always smelt like her perfume, tea and a freshly baked cake. Nana Fulton sadly passed away when I was 13, but has never seemed to be far away. I had my first son when I was 22 and was seriously ill with preeclampsia. I was terrified, but that night as I was praying that my son and I would be okay, I suddenly felt this warm feeling of peace surrounding me like a cosy hug full of love and all I could smell was Nana's house. Ten years later and I was in a difficult labour with my baby daughter. I was reaching my threshold for being able to cope when I suddenly felt calm. I looked up and there she was, 
sitting in the visitor's chair in the corner of the delivery room, smiling at me. Now, whether my brain had just gone to a safe space to help me deal with the pain, I don't know, but my daughter was born a few minutes later. My daughter's middle names are after my nana, who is simply the kindest woman I've ever known. Coincidentally, when my midwife asked me her first name, she burst into tears when I told her. My daughter's birth was the first one she had attended after the passing of her mother, who had the same first name as my daughter. My daughter is nine now, and although they weren't biologically related, I can see a lot of Nana's best quality in her. A kindness and a gentleness of spirit and a wicked sense of humour. I don't think Nana would have ever had any idea of the impact that she had on the life of one lonely little girl. Oh, what a lovely story. See, this is why we do this. This is why we do this. Because people hear stories that they can relate to. They hear stories that they go, Oh, I had a Mrs. Rice when I was a kid. And it's really moved me. And it makes people feel not alone in their stories. And your your Nana, your Nana Fulton, sounds amazing. It sounds like she has been looking after you since she died. What a lovely way to end the episode. Thank you so much to Jamie, Katie, Tony, Anne, Edward, M, and Alison for sending in your stories. Remember, the last story came from February the 4th, 2022. If you would like to know anything about Real Life Ghost Stories podcast, you can do so by checking out reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. If you are desperate for more content, you can access heaps more content on patreon.com forward slash Stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content and every main and mini episode completely ad free. And on that note, I shall see you next time.